the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. A background in economics, a history in youth ministry, a heart for missions, and a passion for local outreach. That describes our guest today. We're visiting with Pastor Dave Clark, Senior Pastor of Living Hope Neighborhood Church in the city of Richmond. Pastor Clark, a delight to have you with us. And as we lead off the conversation today, maybe you can take a moment and Share with us a little bit of the the very rich and diverse spiritual journey that you have been on. My goodness, we we see everything from economic studies to overseas missions involvement. Tell us how did God begin all of that journey for you? The gospel message that I had heard uh, as a child just became real to me. And uh, I surrendered my life to Christ, began to really grow uh, in my collegiate years, and even wrestled with... um, you know this this degree and this uh, coursework that I'm doing. How does it how does it fit with my new identity and relationship with Christ? And um, pursued business for a little bit uh, post post graduation, but ultimately felt compelled to enter into the ministry and uh, have been doing that since about 2001. And undoubtedly, some of that skill set down through the years has, has probably served you very well pastoring a local church. You grew up in Michigan. Your journey from Michigan to California, how did that come about? Kind of a crazy journey, actually. So where I grew up in Michigan was a, a small town of about 5,000 people, uh, not culturally or ethnically diverse, a small blue collar kind of farming town, really. Uh, but then... The Lord led me to Chicago, and uh, I went from a small town to the inner city of Chicago. And for those 10 years in the city, uh, God just taught me so much. I I went there to study urban ministry at the Moody Bible Institute at the graduate school. But in many ways, I feel like my master's degree came through people I I met and through the neighborhood that I lived in. Uh, through the families that I serve, through the teenagers that I work with, through even some of the homeless neighbors that I came to know over those years in that city. And so I I believe in each season, God was preparing me for the next stop. And so then I think my years in Chicago then prepared me to move to the Bay Area and and Richmond. There's obviously a new living curve as uh, some of the cultural dynamics are, are different here, and there's a greater level of ethnic and cultural diversity here than there was where I was living in Chicago. Uh, But it's been cool just to see God's faithfulness in using each place 
to prepare me for the next season. When Californians think of Michigan, we think of the Motor City. We think we think of the capital of the automobile, and sure. probably forget that that's just a small segment, actually, from a from a geographical standpoint of what right. Michigan is. And there is a lot of farming towns and things of that sort. So for you, it, that that must have been quite the experience in beginning to transition from growing up in a small town of five thousand people to suddenly finding yourself in these large metropolitan and very diverse hubs from. Chicago to eventually San Francisco. Yeah, you know, when I was a kid growing up, my dad would take us on little weekend excursions into Chicago and uh, or even into Detroit for games. And I don't know what it was. I just always had a fascination and love for cities, even though that wasn't that was a far cry from where I was growing up. There was something compelling to me about cities. Uh, And then also Um, By God's grace, God gave me friendships uh, with people of different racial and cultural backgrounds throughout my growing up years. And then on the college campus, uh, as an athlete, I built relationships with different students uh, of different ethnic and cultural backgrounds. And then I also uh, I joined the gospel choir uh, on my college campus. And so I had grown up in a small town, mostly white. Uh, community and church. And in my college years through the gospel choir, I was introduced to the black church tradition and uh, to new songs and uh, a new style of worship that wasn't something I had grown up with. And so uh, the way I describe it, I, I had some great people who discipled me in the scriptures, but I believe that my friends and brothers and sisters in the gospel choir began to disciple me cross-culturally. I, I just just grew and learned so much, and I think those experiences then prepared me and shaped me to continue to be a cultural learner in Chicago and now in the Bay. I, I'm curious from your perspective, is that something that we all need to sort of foster a, uh, a passion for? And I pose that question because I, I'm, I'm reminded of a comment made many, many years ago by the late Dr. Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. who described America the most divided Sunday yeah. mornings at 11 a.m. Now, certainly there are linguistic reasons why that happens there are cultural reasons why that happens there are geographic reasons you know the the church is down the block i'm not going to drive halfway across town halfway across the state Uh, and yet i i I wonder if maybe sometimes the church in general today in the west uh well certainly nuanced and different in metropolitan areas like the san francisco bay region that is and of itself highly diversified but i wonder for for the rest of us if if Learning what the richness of that diversity is, because it is a reflection of what heaven looks like, right? Heaven is going to be made up of of every tribe, every tongue, every race. And I would imagine that many of the distinctions that we use to divide ourselves today, Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, that's all going to be checked at the door, so to speak, when we enter into the gates of heaven. But that sense of being in a diversified sense, culturally aware of others. I, I think of the, the Pauline notion, I become all things to all men that I might win some. Yeah. Is that something that maybe is a component that the church needs to do a better job on? No, absolutely. And I, I think to your point, it, it's going to look different for all of us based on the neighborhoods we live in. Some of our neighborhoods are more diverse than others, and it, and it may 
our church may or may not be diverse, but I think, uh, to your point, I think, first of all, we, we have to see that diversity was God's idea, that from Genesis 1, all people created in the image of God. Uh, Acts 17 talks about our, our common ancestry through Adam and and our ethnic and, and cultural diversity our skin tones, our languages are all God's good idea. And and ultimately, as you mentioned, when we look at that final picture in heaven, Revelation 5, 9 and Revelation 7, 9, both give us this beautiful picture of people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation worshiping before the throne. And so I think if that's where we're heading and if Christ died for a diverse bride like that, then I, I do think our hearts and our lives should desire to celebrate and and live out that diversity in different ways. And I think uh, of late, I've been, I think, compelled by the example of Jesus in this. I, I said to our congregation recently that when you observe Jesus throughout the gospel, he intentionally crossed lines. He intentionally crossed lines of uh, ethnicity and race that were it's similar to our day. They People were living polarized, whether it be the Jew-Gentile divide or the Jew-Samaritan divide. Jesus intentionally crossed those lines and built bridges relationally. He touched lepers, right? He, he ate with tax collectors. All the different kind of social constructs that were keeping people apart and discriminating and demeaning people, uh, Jesus intentionally crossed those lines and gave us a, a new way to live. And so I think part of it is is following Jesus in that same way and being people that intentionally cross lines, building relationships with others, seeking to, to show the love of Christ, even in places where maybe our culture is saying we, we shouldn't go or or we need not go. It's interesting because that sense of, of diversity that richness yeah. is baked right in. I mean, we look historically at Scripture. It doesn't yeah. talk about the Lord creating the tribe of Israel. It's the 12 tribes of Israel. It's many right. nations, many languages. And yep. yet I think in the richness of all of that, not only does it help stretch us a bit, but I yep. think, too, gives us a glimpse into the multifaceted character of God, that he is about justice as much as he is about compassion, he is a God that is, is certainly transcends every nation, every cultural aspect that, that we oftentimes would in the flesh define as different and therefore difficult to approach or uncomfortable to approach. And yet I right. think it's in all that difference in that diversity that God demonstrates not only his richness, but his willingness to learn from all of that. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think when we build relationships with people who look different than us, think different than us, pray different than us, worship different than us. Um, we get a fuller picture of who God is, I, I, I believe. Like we, as we begin to rub shoulders and share lives, God is bigger. And it's a beautiful thing when we can, with brothers and sisters in Christ, begin to see God through a different cultural lens. There's just a richness to it that, uh, I think God would want us to partake of, but uh, too often, sometimes we tend to silo ourselves 
within communities uh, where we're most comfortable. That's an easy thing to do because it's the lazy thing to do. Yeah. And, and yet I'm reminded that viewpoint of, of having a world level burden, you know, the John 316 mm-hmm. for all the world did he yes. send his only begotten son. Our conversation today with Pastor Dave Clark, lead pastor at Living Hope Neighborhood Church of Richmond. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're visiting today with Pastor Dave Clark. Pastor Clark is the lead pastor at Living Hope Neighborhood Church in the city of Richmond. Pastor Clark, let's pick things up where we left off just prior to the break. Coming to the San Francisco Bay Area, my goodness, there's probably no other place on planet Earth that is as diverse uh, is as diversified and and yeah. and cross language, cross culturally unique than the San Francisco yeah. Bay Area, right? I mean, some people, if they think about missions trips, it involves airplanes, airports, passports. <laughs> Here in the Bay Area, it involves opening your front door, and there it is. You can find every tribe and tongue of the entire planet right here in the San Francisco Bay Area that makes it challenging, but also, I think, gives us a particularly unique and, I believe, special opportunity to influence the world for Christ. Would you agree? Absolutely. You made me look out at my neighborhood from where I'm sitting, and in the houses surrounding where I live and where the church is at, you know, there's neighbors from... Mexico and El Salvador and Pakistan and Nepal and Brazil and Ethiopia and Senegal and China. I mean, the nations are are in our neighborhoods and in our cities. And while I still think there's there's a call to go other places, right, and to reach the unreached, but uh, yeah, God has brought the nations to us. I, I think that's why, as Christ followers. We really have to be cultural learners and we have to be those who uh, listen to other people's stories in order to build bridges cross-culturally, even within our own neighborhoods and cities. I also believe in order to really reach and impact the city for Jesus, that we have to work collaboratively. We have to, although we should love our local church and I love the church that I get to pastor, There's a lot of other great churches in our city. Every church is a little bit different, and there's churches that worship in different languages, and there's churches uh, that uh, worship in different ways, but we have to figure out ways to work collaboratively if we're truly going to reach and impact our cities uh, for Christ and and just recognize that it's it's bigger than just our own local church. It's it's a kingdom work. It's it's the big C church that can impact cities. And I love that mental image, that picture that you paint of bridge building. Mm-hmm. Many of us undoubtedly have seen a, a very famous oil painting, and it's been duplicated by many artists down through the years. The mm-hmm. picture of the cross serving mm-hmm. as a bridge between God and mankind And that sense of bridge building, you said that we need to look out at our neighborhoods, as you did just out the window a moment ago. And instead of siloing ourselves, which is kind of the easy, lazy way of doing things, to look out there and recognize that God really calls upon us to be the laborers in the field of helping to build those bridges. Christ, of course, is the bridge. But sharing that message and working 
cross-culturally, even cross-socioeconomic circumstances in understanding that the one thing that unites all of us is our need of a Savior and the fallen sin condition which we are in. And is it interesting that the Bible makes absolutely no distinction as to for whom Christ died? He died for the entire world. World, I think sometimes we think about our own or our little corner, and that's easy, that's neat, that's comfortable. But wow, mm-hmm. the potential that sits before us if we will allow our eyes to be opened and to recognize the power that exists in doing that kind of bridge building to which you are referring and the kind of impact that we can have in changing not only our neighborhoods for Christ, but yeah. the entire planet for Christ. And I, and I think maybe part of the emphasis, as you mentioned just a moment ago, Pastor Clark, is the idea that oftentimes we're very much focused on building our, our own little kingdom, small K, when God yeah. calls upon us to build his kingdom, the large K. Yeah, it's easily just to kind of be focused internally, just kind of doing our own stuff. I just think there's, again, there's a, a richness to be had when we begin to partner and collaborate with others. And in many ways, the impact can can be multiplied when, when we begin to open our eyes and, and reach across the city uh, and, and work with others uh, because our cities are diverse and our cities are complex and our neighborhoods are diverse and complex. And so, therefore, we need a, a diversity of perspectives uh, in order to reach those places. I also think as beautiful as bridge building and, and working cross culturally can be, it's also can be uncomfortable and disorienting at times. Mm-hmm. And I'm just also convinced that, but that's when God does his deepest work in us is when we don't always know what to say and we feel stretched and we feel uncomfortable and we feel uh, our weakness. I think that's when he shows up. That's when his grace is sufficient that's when we depend on the Holy Spirit in new ways. And in many ways, I think he's rigged it that way. Um, and then, you know, sometimes God will, will disrupt us and kind of com- compel us into places and relationships that we wouldn't kind of naturally have kind of wandered into. And and his divine disruptions like that are are good. And that's where the growth occurs. Well, exactly right. And I think drawing us out of our our little comfort zones, that also forces us to exercise our faith more, to be more reliant upon the Holy Spirit, to to be driven back into the Word, and to understand that that none of this happens in terms of, of life impact and changing the world around us, that none of this happens apart from Him. And I think sometimes, you know, we, we tend to want to sort of come up with a plan and ask God to bless it as opposed to reliant upon God to say, Lord, show us what you want us to do. And God may say, I'm going to take you into an area that is entirely out of your comfort zone, where you feel entirely ill-equipped. And yet in that space, if you surrender to me and rely upon me, that's where the miracles happen and where the greatest sense of growth takes place, not only in terms of personal spiritual growth, but as well as obviously growth of the church, the body. Absolutely. I I feel like uh, in the last uh, six months to to maybe not quite a year, but the last six to eight months or so, God began leading us to to do some ministry in some of the homeless encampments here in Richmond. 
one of which is no longer in existence. But uh, as God began to take us out, uh, we make breakfast twice a month on Saturdays. We begin rather than inviting people in for breakfast to, to go out to where people are. I just really feel like through those experiences and through entering into some of those encampments and getting to know some of our homeless neighbors there, it was reminiscent of when God tried to send Jonah into Nineveh. We know Jonah was fearful. Uh, Jonah was full of self-righteousness and, and pride and, and really had a low view of the Ninevite people. And therefore, he didn't, he didn't want to go. And there's that passage in Jonah chapter 4 where God says, should, should I not have compassion on this great city of Nineveh? And I just have felt like as we've begun to serve in these homeless encampments that that God has been asking that same question to me. Do you truly have compassion on the men and women who are living in these encampments? And, and do you share my heart of compassion for the people living in these communities? And God is good. He, he's just been taking me to his school of compassion and showing me my own self-righteousness and my own fears and my own prejudices. Uh, but through that, God's been growing me. And we've had some great times of conversation and prayer with our homeless neighbors in these encampments. You know, it's interesting because Scripture talks about where you plant the seed. And you can mm -hmm. plant the seed in fertile soil and see it bring forth a great harvest, much fruit. You can yeah. cast the seed into the rocks where there is insufficient soil. And so yeah. it really doesn't bear fruit because it can't put roots down. And yeah. isn't it curious where we find the greatest effectiveness of delivering water? And that is mm -hmm. to those that are the thirstiest. And I think yeah. sometimes that notion, again, of, of God forcing us out of our comfort zone. And, you know, it's yeah. interesting because in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I know this is true for many metropolitan areas around the entire country, that mm -hmm. there is no shortage, no lack of seeing people that are suffering the most, yeah. be it the guy holding the sign at the freeway off-ramp or the family that's camped out near, uh, you know, a, a road that you travel down every day in a little mm -hmm. tent there. And I think oftentimes it's easy for us to turn our eyes away, sometimes out of shock, out of disgust. And yet yeah. to stop and say, you know what? If Jesus were here physically, yeah. I don't think that he would be going to the biggest cathedral with the tallest steeple and the greatest mass choir to share his message. I think the place where he would start would probably be at that freeway off-ramp and finding those people that have, are down to absolutely nothing perhaps have greatest awareness of their own sense of despair and depravity, where then the gospel message has the greatest need and the greatest opportunity to grow in that fertile soil. Would you agree? Absolutely. Again, when you trace Jesus and the way he moved amongst people throughout the gospels, he he went to the places that other people didn't didn't want to go. He went to the margins of society. He he extended table fellowship to those who were hated, to those who were looked down upon, uh, to the broken, to the hurting, to the voiceless. That's that's where we see Jesus going in the Gospels. And so I think as his people, I believe we need to follow him into those same places and amongst those same peoples that 
maybe our culture has overlooked, forgotten, and, and marginalized. And, and that seems to sort of be the, um, how should I say this, seems to be sort of the, the underlayment, the foundation of Living Hope Neighborhood Church, that sense of coming in to go out. And by that, I mean gathering in to worship together, to study God's word together, to have that community experience and and that sense of community support, but not to leave it there. You know, sometimes we in the church are really good at the coming in part, and we like to come in and close the doors and stay in. But your approach seems to be we come in in order to go out, that ultimately this is about preparing ourselves to then go in to Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts, to have a sense of vision not only for local ministry and where we're planted in our own block, our own neighborhood, but then that 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 greater vision for the importance of having a worldview that includes compassion for missions, people of yeah. other languages and tribes, and we've talked about that here in the diversity of the Bay Area, but to be reminded, too, that that also exists outside of the, the city limits, so to speak, of the San Francisco Bay region. Our conversation today with Pastor Dave Clark, lead pastor at Living Hope Neighborhood Church of Richmond. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're visiting today with Pastor Dave Clark. Pastor Clark is the lead pastor at Living Hope Neighborhood Church in the city of Richmond. Now, Pastor Clark, let me pick things up where we left off a moment ago. Tell me a bit about that heartbeat that you have, Pastor, for global missions. I know that you currently serve on the board of a couple of of ministries that are active on the continent of Africa. How did that all come to be? When I was in graduate school at, at Moody, we stayed in an apartment building on campus, right, right in the heart of Chicago. And many of my classmates were from the nations, uh, were from uh, the continents of Asia and Africa and South America and, and Europe. And there was it, it was just a beautiful community that I'm so grateful that I was able to be a part of for those two years. And so I built relationships uh, with some of my classmates. And so uh, I've now traveled to the continent of Africa uh, eight different times. And all of those trips have been made with classmates and even a professor um, from Moody. I, I think seeing God at work in, in other contexts on, on a global scale, one has helped cultivate a, a heart for the nations in my own life. And I want to see our church embody that. But I think those trips have also encouraged and inspired me to live out the gospel with a greater sense of compassion and courage right where he has us. Uh, Because I think the global church and their dependency upon God, their dependency upon the Holy Spirit, the simplicity in some ways of their faith communities based on a lack of resources is inspiring and encouraging and frankly convicting at times with the way that they boldly love their community with little resources, but with dependency in prayer, dependency on the Holy Spirit, and and really believing God's word in ways that we don't often do here. And so I think my trips to the nations have helped me better serve my neighborhood. We want to be a church that exists for both the neighborhood and the nations. And I think sometimes within churches, we 
we tend to emphasize one or the other. And I don't think the Bible gives us that option. The Bible is is about our our neighbor and the nations. It has to be a both and. And so we're Living Hope Neighborhood Church, and we really want to live up to our name. And uh, locally, that means that, you know, if if our church was to close its doors, we pray that this neighborhood would miss this church. Uh, they may not agree with with the message that we preach. They may not believe the same thing, uh, but prayerfully, they can't argue with the way that we've loved this community. So yeah, we're we're trying to kind of to live up to our name in that in that sense. Well, and, and I think too, and I, and I want to underscore what you said a moment ago that this is not an either or; it's mm-hmm. both and. Meaning, when we are compelled to go into the highways and byways, and and or go out to the highways and byways and compel them to come in and to take the gospel message, it doesn't say the Judea or Samaria. Or the uttermost parts of the earth. It's step one, step two, step three. It's it's building layer upon layer, eventually to understand that yes, we you know we we need to have a heartbeat for the gospel locally, but a vision yeah. for the gospel globally. I think is critically important. And 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 I'm glad you mentioned too about your experiences overseas. You know. I think all of us, to one degree or another, that have been in the church and been in Christ for a lot of years, will we'll have those occasional wow moments when you see God really, truly at work. And when you go overseas and they literally have no resources, nothing to rely upon except their faith, except yep. the moving of the Holy Spirit amongst them. Those wow moments are not occasional events. They're virtually day-by-day-by-day occurrences. And how much that we can learn from that and understand that, you know, the the only difference between the church overseas and the church here is the level of our faith and reliance upon God. It has nothing to do with first world versus third world, riches versus poor. It all has to do really with who we see God as and how much we are willing to rely upon him and surrender to him. The American church needs the global church. I think oftentimes we think the global church needs us, and there's a sense in which there's some training and resources that we can help with, mm-hmm. but I think we we minimize and don't realize how much the American church needs the global church and how much the American church can learn Uh, from the global church. And I think as God has begun to bring the nations to us, I I think we're seeing that. I think we're seeing um, whether it be the the immigrant church in our city or whether that be the neighbor that begins to come to our church that's from um, another country. They they bring just a, a fervency and a zeal and passion for the Lord and a dependence on the Lord that that quite frankly we we need here uh, in the West and, and in America. Your church has taken a multifaceted approach, as we've discussed, not only with a vision and burden for the local neighborhood, but a global vision and burden as well. But in addition to that, there's a sense of diversity in terms of your ministerial approach in that it's not just, well, we have a service every Sunday morning at 11. You're welcome to come. You guys have literally gone out into the communities. You are involved in youth ministry. You have a very vibrant food pantry, food distribution program. Tell us a bit about that. And as folks 
folks are eavesdropping on our conversation today saying, you know, I like what Pastor Clark has had to share. And this is the kind of church that's just engaged in in grassroots impact. Tell us a bit about what God is doing at Living Hope. I think uh, in different seasons of the ministry here, we've, we've just tried to be faithful to serve our neighborhood in different ways. And then through those service opportunities and relationships, God has oftentimes opened up doors for further ministry. So, for example, a few years ago, I was volunteering at the local elementary school that now my daughters attend, but I, I was volunteering there. I got to meet some of the other parent volunteers. And when the when the shutdown happened, the COVID shutdown happened, they approached me. They had been doing a grocery distribution at the school. But when the campus was closing because of COVID, they could no longer do it there. So they came to me and said, Pastor Dave, could we use the church parking lot to do this grocery distribution twice a week? And we would just need a little bit of storage uh, space for some tables. And so, you know, I said, absolutely. And so this grocery distribution has been happening twice a week, uh, every Wednesday and Friday uh, since March of 2020. But that really stemmed from this service at the local school that led to this relationship with these neighborhood moms, which then translated to this uh, grocery distribution that we have been doing for the last three years. um, And that has really served as a blessing to our community. Uh, Another example of that is years ago at the church, there was a men's Bible study on a Saturday. On one particular Saturday, there was a homeless man on the steps. He asked if he could come in for the Bible study and breakfast, and they invited him in. Uh, he came and had a good breakfast, stayed for Bible study. They began to build a relationship with this man, and that's going back to 2006. What began to develop is every Saturday, they just kept saying, if you know anyone else who needs a good breakfast on a Saturday morning, invite them to come. And so that was the origin of our Saturday ministry that now has kind of expanded in that we not only have breakfast here, but we also go out. But it just kind of happened through just some members faithfully serving, but it opened something up that was broader and, and longer term and impact. As we faithfully serve and build relationships, I think God opens doors for collaboration and ministry. The, and the only thing he requires of us is once he opens the door for us to be bold enough in exercising our faith to walk through that door yeah. and to harness that opportunity in order to share the gospel, give that cup of cold water in Jesus' name, so to speak, and then watch yeah. and see what the Holy Spirit does. You're meeting at 2800 Ream Avenue in Richmond. Your regular Sunday morning service time is at 11 a.m. And of course, if folks want to get more information about many of the the diverse ministries through Living Hope Neighborhood Church of Richmond. You can check them out online at LHN, think Living Hope Neighborhood Church, lhnchurch.org, or you can call the church directly at area code 510-233-7353. That's 510-233-7353. Someone's eavesdropping on our visit today, Pastor, and they're thinking, you know what, I, I like what Pastor Dave has had to share today. Extend a personal invitation, if you would, to that individual. We'd love to have you visit with us on a Sunday morning. You just heard that our service is at 11 a.m. But beyond that, like if you ever want to just grab coffee and and just talk 
and think through things and, and pray together. I'm I'm open to that. Uh, I, I live in the community right here where the church is, and I, I just try to be uh, available in those ways. And so uh, my email address is on the website. Shoot me an email. I, I'd love to talk, grab coffee, grab a lunch, and uh, see how we can encourage one another. Again, Living Hope Neighborhood Church, 2800 Ream Avenue in Richmond. Service time Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. And complete details available on the web at lhnchurch.org. That's lhnchurch.org. Our thanks to Pastor Dave Clark, lead pastor at Living Hope Neighborhood Church, for being with us. Pastor Dave, thanks again for your time. Thank you for having me. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. For those who have loved ones currently in the hospital, who have perhaps lost a loved one, it raises many of the why God questions. Why does God allow things to happen like this? And when we're in these kinds of times, whether we're talking about the tragedy of what unfolded yesterday in Boston, to the loss of a child, to maybe just the day-to-day challenges that we face in life, oftentimes we, we feel as if we're kind of groping about and we're, we're wondering in the middle of the darkness of our experience, how do we find God? Coincidentally, a new title of a book called called Finding God in the Dark, and it's co-written by my next guest, Ted Gluck. Ted, of course, has been on the program previously. We talked to him uh, some months ago regarding his best-selling book, Dallas and the Spitfire. Back again to join us today, and Ted, it's always great to have you on the show. Hey, Craig, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Boy, the timing of our conversation today in the wake of the tragedy of Boston yesterday, again, it just touches on so many levels emotionally and and spiritually. Kind of give me your overall sense, um, particularly in the spirit in which uh, you wrote this book along with Ronnie Martin. Um, We're in these moments, be it the tragedy of yesterday to simply maybe losing a job, losing a loved one. We grapple with this sense of where God, why God? Yeah, we really do. I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. These are these are existential questions. You know, these are questions that that strike to the core of our existence, and um, they really strike to the core of how it is that we think about God. And um, you know, as as I prepared for the show tonight, I, I knew you were going to ask me about this, and I was I was talking it over and, and praying about it with my wife, and I was reminded of the verse in First Thessalonians that says. You know, as Christians, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. And, you know, but we still grieve, you know, and, and whether you're intimately involved in a situation like this or, or whether you're just kind of observing it from the outside, I mean, you're grieved. And I'm reminded of the, the doctrine of total human depravity, you know, the idea that, that we're all sinners in this world with sick hearts and that there's no hope for us and there's there's nothing good apart from Christ. And I think, you know, what what you take from this, Events. I mean, you watch the media and you hear things like, you know, we're going to do everything we can. And, you know, there's all kinds of kind of governmental slash military finagling going on. And, and on one hand, you, you root for that and you're, you're hopeful that something will be done. But, you know, as Christians, we know that um, apart from the cross and apart from Christ, you know, there's really there's not a good answer. You know, there's not a great hopeful thing that, that Obama or anyone else can say to people to really make them feel better. So. You know, I think for us, maybe the takeaway is an opportunity to, to, to recognize the sin in our own hearts. And, you know, much of my book deals with that, you know, this idea that, you know, it wasn't until I really humbled myself and threw myself at the foot of the cross that I had any joy and any peace in this life. And I think we, 
we're reminded that we don't find our joy and peace in circumstances or situations. You know, it, it isn't God's job to, to make everything perfect for us. Um, uh, but he does find us. He does seek us out. And he does give us the opportunity to, to humble ourselves and, and find joy and peace in him. You know, what you say, I know, even with my listeners eavesdropping on this conversation right now, we, we, we resonate with what you say. We, we certainly readily give a mental assent to your observations. And yet, oftentimes, isn't there that disconnect that we experience, meaning that we understand, for example, if we want to just kind of uh, coldly in a very calculated manner dissect what transpired yesterday, it is, you know, man's depravity, it is separation of God, from God by, by sin, it is our inclination to do wrong and evil and the influence of the enemy in our lives. We understand all of that, and we can certainly, in many ways, kind of pigeonhole or categorize the pain of yesterday into those categories we give complete total mental assent to those realities and yet there's this disconnect where emotionally though we're still saying but wait a minute god i mean aren't you supposed to come in and kind of you know save the day Uh, we look at this and say well you know of all the people that died yesterday uh, three all told why did one of them have to be an eight-year-old boy and suddenly now we're kind of emotionally uh, and spiritually wrestling with god over these things yeah, we are, you know, and I, I I fully agree. And I think, you know, for those of us who, who grew up Christian or grew up in evangelical homes like I did, I mean, I think I, I spent a lot of years just intellectually assenting to things and not really feeling or experiencing them. And there's this, this strange tension in the church where, you know, you're, you're clinging to truth and you have biblical truth, but yet you, you still want to experience things. You want to feel comforted. And, you know, for me... Uh, I think the Bible is full of, of of examples of people who you know cling to cling to Christ and cling to cling to God in the midst of really horrible things that are happening to them. And on one level, you you, you don't really maybe find comfort in their stories, but I, I find comfort in the idea that there's a model for how we can cling to the Lord in those times, how we can cry out to the Lord, how you know King David who. You know, the Bible says was a man after God's own heart, but but was also this horrible sinner. You know, he was a, an adulterer and a murderer, and he has the audacity and the and the courage really to ask God for a clean heart, and then he asks God to restore his joy. And this is, you know, when people are pursuing him and and chasing after him to take his life. You know, he even he even clings to to the Lord for joy in that. And you know, as to how that comforts. You know, someone who's who's grappling with the reality of yesterday. I don't know, but I'm but I'm glad it's there, and I'm glad, you know, the Bible gives us a, a model for how we're to do that. And I I found, I mean, my experience has been um, that there's really been no earthly comfort outside of that. And you know, sometimes we can't explain these things away. We can't, um, you know, God doesn't let us know immediately why it's happening. Um, but but that feeling of joy and peace, even in the midst of uh, of life's terrible storms. I mean, that's something that uh, experientially we can we can look to the Lord and just say thank you. There's one thing though that tends to kind of complicate this. And after a brief time out, I want to kind of dig deeper. We we spoke of the the, the mental ascent to what we understand to be true from God's perspective, from God's word. Then there's kind of the emotional struggles that we go uh, go into where we we understand intellectually what's going on and yet emotionally still there's that sense of disillusionment and fear and doubt and unbelief the third aspect that kind of complicates this scenario is 
the big cover-up. And we'll talk about that when we come back after a brief timeout. Best-selling author Ted Kluck is with us today. A look at Finding God in the Dark. I'm Craig Roberts, back with more of the conversation as Lifeline continues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.